Welcome to our Wednesday session for Oncology for the Inquisitive Mind, where we aim to demystify, explore the often complex and forever changing world of medical oncology. Today's session featuring Michael and Josh will be a little bit different to our regular service, our regular streaming service, where we delve into many of the facets of oncology that you don't get from a study. So the management of side effects, how to support your patients, what to do when and why, and also a bit on that disinformation where patients come in with elaborate questions that are really difficult to debate. Things like high dose vitamin C, you know, hyperbaric oxygen, keto diets, those sorts of things that make our job quite difficult. This will be much more practical and blessedly, I'm sure many of our regular listeners are saying, uh, much shorter. There'll be a lot less chin wagging and lollygagging. But Josh, today we're going to talk about um, a very common thing that confronts uh, young oncologists and oncology trainees early and often in their time in this profession. And that's mucositis, which is uh, not only a common side effect of many of our systemic therapies and the therapies of our radiation oncology colleagues as well, but a incredibly debilitating one. So do you want to tell our intrepid listeners what we actually mean by mucositis? I would love to, Michael. Thank you for giving me that introduction. So mucositis is inflammation of the mucous membranes, itis. But on a more serious note, it can affect all gastrointestinal tracts and oral cavities, inducing patient pain, inability to eat, weight loss, and of course, local infection. This all started, a bit of background, this all started after really the advent of chemotherapy back in the 1940s, which led to a significant increase in mucositis adverse events. And that was generally advertised as stomatitis. What exactly is it? So oral mucositis is defined as really the erythematous or ulcerative lesions of the mucosal lining of the oral cavity, secondary to anti-cancer agents. And I say that because it's now no longer just chemotherapy that causes this, but there's also other things, right? So stomatitis, which is inflammation of any oral tissue. When we're looking at the pathophysiology, and I will talk about this just briefly because I don't think that's what we really want to focus on too much is that there's sort of five different stages. So the first stage is normal tissue. The second stage is the initiation phase and the primary injury response from radio and chemo in therapy, chemotherapy induced mucositis, essentially. So it causes tissue damage, reactive oxygen species release, DNA damage and cell death of the basal and subbasal epithelial cells. The primary damage response is characterized, that, that's sort of characterized, and the secondary stage is kind of its development of the symptoms, right? So there's presence of pro-inflammatory cytokines. It's like hitting your knee, essentially, but it's in your mucous membranes. That's how I would like to say it. And there's lots of causes. So chemotherapy can cause it. Radiotherapy can cause it. Tyrosine kinase therapy can cause it. Even breast oncological treatments like TDM1 can also cause it. Other culprits, Michael, can include bone marrow transplant recipients. And I guess you've also got things like 
malnutrition might cause things like stomatitis, but we're not going to talk about that. No, I, I think that the main thing that these um, episodes want to focus on is how does it present and what do you do about it? So, I mean, it's fairly simple in terms of presentation. Josh, as Josh said, mucositis and stomatitis can technically affect anywhere in the gastrointestinal tract, but where is it going to be most symptomatic? It's the mouth. Uh, Obviously something that is involved in pretty much everything that we do every day. Certainly everything I do because I do love a a good food. (laughs) I do love a good meal. (laughs) Um, So uh, basically the most common presentation is you'll have a patient who rocks up to treatment uh, or gives uh, gives the uh, the staff at a day oncology center a call and says I'm having huge problems eating and that's almost always why and they'll say it is exquisitely painful my mouth feels like it's on fire one particularly loquacious patient said it felt like she was chewing glass there is a lot of different ways to describe it but basically it is whenever I eat whenever I drink and sometimes even that extends to swallowing because the mucositis can extend quite far back into the oropharynx, it is exquisitely painful. And left alone, this can be absolutely catastrophic. People don't eat, they lose weight. When people lose weight and get more cachectic, the toxicity of our therapies tends to increase and it tends to be a vicious cycle. This is particularly relevant, as Josh mentioned, radiotherapy, can cause it and chemotherapy can cause it. So what happens when you combine those two and point the radiotherapy directly at the at-risk membranes? What I'm getting at is that head and neck cancer, patients receiving head and neck cancer with uh, uh, definitive chemoradiotherapy, these patients frequently need hospitalization at some point during their treatment um, for both symptomatic management and sometimes local management is not Uh, enough. They need sort of uh, oral or even parenteral uh, analgesia um, and also uh, nasogastric or nasogeginal feeding to support their oral intake and their um, uh, caloric intake. So the presentation can be quite dramatic. It can be quite severe. But in terms of severity... We're using a um, a grade and and all of this information is uh, on the EVIQ website. We'll leave a link to it in the description. But the grade of mucositis is really uh, really tied to what the symptoms interfere with. Using the um, CTCAC guidelines, which is the common terminology criteria for adverse events, grade one is asymptomatic or mild symptoms. So patients might say, I've got one particular spot, which is the equivalent to like a cold sore or a mouth ulcer. Um, It generally doesn't need any sort of intervention. Grade two is moderate pain, but again, still not interfering with oral intake. And at this point, you recommend a modified diet. And we'll come to that in a second. Um, Grade three is severe pain, which is interfering with oral intake. And if a patient is going to complain about uh, mucositis, this is generally the point at which they will do it because most of our patients are very uh, uh, involved in their treatment. They're very uh, enthusiastic. That's entirely the wrong word, but you get my point about the treatment and they don't want to stop. 
and they will only stop, they'll only sort of mention something is wrong when it is unavoidable. Grade four is life-threatening consequences. So we're talking electrolyte imbalances, major weight loss and caloric deficiencies, um, infection, sepsis, and all of that sort of stuff. And urgent intervention is indicated. So these patients are frequently very, very sick. So Josh, that's sort of how it presents. And it can be quite confronting because it's uh, obviously uh, very, very painful, causes a lot of distress. But I guess we've been confronted by it our hypothetical early trainee has been confronted with mucositis, what the hell do they do about it? It comes to a point whether you look at things to try and prevent mucositis or the ulceration. So you do this as a preemptive measure or has someone then developed mucositis and you have to react or be reactive to what's gone on. The thing that I did not mention, and Michael, thank you for bringing it up, it causes ulceration. And if you lose weight and you can't eat and you're tired and there's pain, you don't finish your treatment. And with a lot of head and neck cancers predominantly, it's curative, meaning that if you don't get enough cisplatin or radiotherapy, you may or may not get the adequate response that we want. When you look at a preemptive or management, the first thing to do is send them to a dentist Usually your friendly radiation oncology colleague will do this for you to make sure they don't need any major dental work because that will increase your risks. Other risks include uh, other kind of management things include brushing with a soft toothbrush twice a day, flossing daily and rinsing with bland solutions such as normal saline. My preference is sodium bicarbonate from any of your local shopping complexes or pharmacies, or even tap water and doing this a minimum of four times a day. I personally recommend they start this straight away. Maybe they're the lucky one that doesn't get mucositis. Maybe they're not, but if you can at least delay it, it will be much better. Some patients might get prophylactic care, such as having teeth removed, um, if they've got compromised teeth, and Some use cryotherapy or ice chip therapy where patients hold ice chips to their mouth for 30 minutes before an infusion of fluorouracil, and this can also prevent mucositis. So Michael, that's a brief summary of how to reduce the risks, which is there a lot of evidence for a lot of this? I don't believe it is. I think a lot, there is some research, but there's not a huge amount. And The other thing, and I guess we're talking it's radiation-induced, but also chemotherapy-induced, but you've got your patient, they've got grade 2 mucositis, they're losing weight. What do you do to try and facilitate or support them through this time frame? Well, you're absolutely right that there is no objective hard evidence um, for mucositis, and so the majority of guidelines are based around expert opinion, what people with a lot of experience dealing with mucositis have uh, used and um, what seems to work for them. So I guess in the, uh, when it's not severe, when it's not sort of grade three, when patient's not distressed, um, losing weight, not eating, all of those sorts of horrible things, then you can try and manage it, uh, as, as you mentioned, Josh, taking a more reactive approach, basically symptomatically. And the way we do that is really with 
mouthwashes. In Australia, we use um, xylocaine and lignocaine mouthwashes. There's also um, benzidamine mouthwashes, um, which can both be preventative and um, uh, and sort of managing. But obviously, those sort of alcohol chlorhex mouthwashes, if you already have mucositis, are probably going to make things more painful. There's also morphine mouthwashes and anesthetizing mouthwashes. And there's also some expert opinion out there for things like honey. But when it gets really serious, uh, the main things are managing the consequences of mucositis and sort of mentioned these before. Some people need systemic analgesia. So what uh, frequently was uh, is used is uh, granules of of long-acting morphine, MS content, or liquid preparations of morphine as well that can just sort of be imbibed easily with minimum stress. People aren't swallowing huge numbers or huge size tablets. Um, patients uh, are also encouraged to use things like dexamethasone mouth rinse, um, and sometimes you need to use sort of um, systemic steroids for highly symptomatic ulcers. Uh, but ultimately, the vast majority of treatment is supportive. So if the patient can't eat, then we need to provide the recommended or the required caloric intake for them. So that's things like enteric feeding, or I guess in extreme cases when they can't even tolerate that, parenteral feeding as well. Remember that particularly in head and neck patients, the uh, treatment is given with curative intent. That's why it's often so intense. And so we need to support the patients through it in order to get the best long-term outcome. Um, so involvement with a multidisciplinary team with dietitians um, and speech pathologists. And frequently, because this is so distressing, frequently people need extra help at home. They'll need help with feeds. They might need increased services, so social workers. It really is a full team effort. So the summary really is in the early stages, you use symptomatic management with mouthwashes, but really don't hesitate to look at the whole patient beyond the mucositis um, and uh, treat the consequences of that, uh, of the mucositis rather than just the mucositis itself. I should also make a a quick uh, side note here, Josh, is that uh, one of the... uh, medications that can significantly cause mucositis or commonly cause mucositis, you mentioned it before, is uh, 5-FU or capecitabine in its oral form. And it's worth noting that if you do have a patient who just starts their treatment and presents to you with horrible, horrible mucositis, even before you've done any of your battery of tests to assess their overall health, it's always worth considering DPD deficiency, which I think we've talked about Uh, on a previous episode, but it is a rare deficiency of an enzyme that is involved in breaking down uh, 5-FU into its non-toxic metabolite. So if you have a deficiency, the chemo is in your body for longer and you have severe side effects. And a very common presenting complaint is horrific, very much grade 4 mucositis along with diarrhea, really severe cytopenias. And so it's worth thinking that if you have someone who is presenting with mucositis that is probably a bit too quick and a bit too severe for what you would expect with and if they've uh, had a 5-FU-based regimen, then it is important to consider that, run off the test, um, and 
check for things like side opinions as well as just a side note. Great summary, Michael, that you just mentioned. And I know we, we promised a 15 minutes or less, but we'll go a couple of minutes over. In summary, up to 40% of chemotherapy patients can get mucositis. When you add radiotherapy to that component, that's up to 90%. The pathophysiology generally involves pro-inflammatory cytokines, breakdown of mucous membranes, and ulceration. And the complex complications can be severe and manifest in cessation of treatment. Other management options that we did not mention include delaying treatment or dose reducing if needed. Not so much in the head and neck sphere because they really want to push through, but in other chemotherapy options, you can look at that. And when I was looking at tyrosine kinase inhibitors that can cause it, there's a lot. There's a couple of caveats with the mouthwashes. I've seen specialists use sucralfate, which is another mouthwash four times a day. It's generally not recommended in chemo or radiotherapy-induced mucositis, but anecdotally, it definitely helped the individual. Maybe it was just a delay of treatment that coincided with it. And other things, dexamethasone is general, mouthwash is generally recommended for everolimus. We don't use that much of everolimus. But in summary, mucositis can be very manageable and tolerable if you get on the treatment early. And of course, the oral, you can, one last thing is there's an oracle, oracle, there is an oral lignocaine viscous kind of treatment. So it's not so much the mouthwash, but it's, you can rub it on the ulcers. And in Australia, it's called Bongella. Um, so I'd recommend your patients getting that. But ultimately, you need to weigh your patient regularly, ensure that you ask them if they've got ulcers, because if they, they you don't ask, they might not say. And if you can try and reduce the severity of it, I also tell my patients to increase their mouthwashes above the four times a day, because I'm like, that means they're really being proactive with their mouth care. Michael, why don't, why don't you take us out? Next time on Oncology, Oncology Shorts for the Inquisitive Mind, we'll be talking about chemotherapy-induced diarrhea and colitis. And we might even touch on some immune-mediated colitis. Who knows? It'll be an adventure for you as well as an adventure for us. Hopefully, we'll see you then. Bye.